Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We have a pretty big show tonight. Uh, we got several things to talk about, but our uh, main feature is going to be an interview with Kelly Wallace from Expanded Roster, and she is going to tell us about her interview with Melissa Reedy, the ex-wife of Cubs shortstop Addison Russell. She's going to talk about the experiences she had and what she wrote about in her article, which she published yesterday on Expanded Roster. We're also going to talk a little bit of Cubs and other baseball news. So we got a lot to talk about. Kelly will be joining us very shortly. So before we get into that, uh, Adam, welcome into the show. Howdy ho, Alex. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing just fine, getting ready for the holidays. It's kind of weird. It's rainy yeah. and misty right before Christmas. And, yeah, just, you know, really? your typical Chicago weather, just a little weird. Yeah, see, I'm not a Chicagoan, and it's uh, it was bright and sunny. I wore shorts today down here in no, Nebraska land. Lucky, lucky you. So uh, yeah. Kelly will hopefully be joining us uh, very soon. So until she comes, we'll uh, – cover a few things around baseball. Uh, we have some big news in the NL Central. Andrew Miller has apparently agreed to terms with the St. Louis Cardinals, so that's another pretty big get for them. Last year, he had a 4.24 ERA, a 3.51 FIP, and 1.4 WHIP. Now, those numbers don't look nearly as dominant as he was the previous two years in 2016 and 2017. Both years, he had sub-two ERAs, sub-two FIPS. But, you know, last year, he still had uh, strikeouts per nine over 11. The walks were a little higher. It was at about 4.2. I mean, either way, I still think this is going to be a pretty big get for the Cardinals. So, uh, yeah, pretty big move there. Um, just kind of wanted to mention that. But I think we have Kelly on the line right now. I'm going to cue her up. Uh, Kelly, you there? Yep, I'm here. Hi. Hi, Kelly. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you for uh, taking your time and coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to do it. I'm glad to be on with you guys. Great. So why don't we just get right into it? So this article with Expanded Mm -hmm. Roster, uh, you wrote it to give Melissa Reedy a voice. That was the main goal of this article. Let me just jump in really quickly. Um, Her name is Melissa, not Melissa. I just want to make sure. Melissa, okay. Okay, Melissa. Sorry about that. Melissa no Reed. So when you first met up with her, what was it like? Uh, how did you contact her, and uh, how did you kind of arrange this whole thing? Um, well, I don't want to talk too much about um, any off-the-record or private conversations I had with um, Melissa, but one of the most important things that we talked about in terms of arranging this is, was how to do it, um, because I'm sure as I'm sure that everyone can understand it's a very, very difficult subject for her to talk about. Sure. Uh, It's a very difficult subject to do an interview on. Um, So originally we had talked about um, maybe doing a phone interview, uh, but, you know, came to the the conclusion that in person would be the most comfortable setting to do it and the best way for us to really go through what 
like it, as again, as everyone knows, is an incredibly personal, incredibly raw story that um, that was incredibly difficult, I would imagine, to tell. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I so can definitely imagine. That. On that, oh, oh, sorry. Um, once we decided on um, on doing a sit down in person, uh, we picked dates. I arranged to meet up with her in Florida. Uh, we went to lunch together and then spent the day together talking. And um, yeah, what you uh, what you saw on the website is the result of that. Being that it's such a, a delicate, difficult situation for her, uh, did you find it hard to to get certain information from her? Just, I'm sure it was an emotional thing for her to be there and to talk about that. Did did she find it difficult to talk about that with you? Uh, no, I actually, um, Melissa and I hit it off really well, honestly, uh, when we met in person and started talking. I immediately had a great rapport with her. She's a really, really lovely person, um, really, really smart, uh, just really, really intuitive. Uh, and, you know, she came into it well aware of um, of what we were going to be talking about. Uh, it was very important to her to uh, to be able to talk about everything in an honest way uh, and in a way that would be helpful to people who have been through what she has been through, um, who might want to see somebody come out of a relationship like that. So going into it, it was sort of acknowledged that it was going to be a difficult conversation, but honestly, I can't say enough about how incredible she was to talk to. Um, there wasn't anything that felt like it was off limits to talk about. Um, she was very, very open with me. Um, again, we developed a, a very immediate, very great rapport. I felt very, very comfortable talking to her. I hope I don't want to assume uh, that she felt the same way. Uh, I assume her feelings, but um, you know, we've talked since the, the piece was published, and, and we both had a really good experience together working on it, despite uh, how difficult it was to, to do. So how long did you guys talk for? Because I would imagine, you know, since there was a lot that she talked about that you sat down for a good while kind of uh, taking all the information. You know, I don't know. I doubt you timed the thing. But, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, how long did you say you guys talked for? Um, yeah, we uh, we met up for lunch. Well, when you, uh, it was about six hours, I would say, that day, a little less. Um, oh, we, had wow. a couple, uh, we had a follow-up phone call after that as well. It's obviously a very complicated story, so it was it was really important to make sure that we had all the details and also that we had them sure. correct. Um, so, out of curiosity, just to kind of follow up with that, how long did it take you to kind of put the piece together? Was that was it difficult to kind of put the piece together and structure it, or did it just kind of naturally flow to you the way you wanted to put it together? Um, you know, it's always difficult. Every story is, has its own challenges and is difficult in its own way. Uh, this one took quite a bit of uh, a, a bit of work, um, mostly just because of the amount of raw material uh, that needed to be synthesized in order to write it. Um, so that was very, very time-consuming. Um, I, I can honestly tell you that I have not had a, an excessive amount of sleep in the past uh, week or so, but. Um, I mean, it, it really was a project that was sort of like an every waking minute since I got home from meeting with her kind of a thing. I just wanted to ask, uh, being that, that you and Melissa hit it off so well, do you do you guys think that you'll be working together again at any point to, to keep bringing light to the issue of domestic uh, violence? 
You know, we haven't talked specifically about any kind of um, projects to work on in the future, but um, I love Melissa. I'd love to work with her again. I'm really, really happy uh, with what she's working on with her YouTube channel and with a lot of the projects she's working on in her personal life. So I would love to work with her again, would love to help with any of the things she's working on. But uh, as of right now, we don't have anything to announce or any concrete plans. No. I was going to ask you uh, if you can share a little bit about what she's doing right now in uh, fighting domestic violence and empowering other women. Uh, you said she's got a blog on YouTube. Um, what kind of stuff does she uh, post? Does she post more like personal experiences or is it kind of more uh, like talking with other people? What kind of stuff is she doing right now to, uh, you know, keep helping other people? Well, a lot of the reasons she started um, doing her YouTube channel, uh, a lot of it came out of um, the support that she got and the response that she got from people, um, from fans, from, from, you know, people who may, aren't even baseball fans, just survivors that reached out to her. Um, and the, her YouTube channel is very personal. Um, she talks a lot about her, her real life. Um, she really wants to connect with people, engage with her supporters, respond to people's questions. Uh, another, I know one thing that she mentioned that was important was um, being able to relate to and talk to young mothers uh, who may be single parents who may have gone through what she went through because, uh, again, when you're a young mother, especially when you're a single mother, the amount of pressure and, and the difficulty of everything is, is just unbelievable. Um, so I know that that's something that's very close to her heart also um, for people who are young mothers, single mothers, to be able to, to see her and to talk to people like that. She talked about her son quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I thought what really stuck out to me was when, you know, she said that I'm praying for the best for my son. Uh, did she talk about her son a lot that maybe wasn't necessarily making it into the article? Or was her son basically mentioned what you mentioned in the article? Because I know she's very, uh, he's very important to her. Oh, yeah. He, he's very, very important to her. Um, we, you know, we discussed, uh, well, there, I mean, just based on, like I said, the amount of raw material that we had, there's obviously plenty that didn't make it into the final article um, about mm -hmm. pretty much every topic that's in the article. You know, there was a lot of tearing down that happened. Uh, so pretty much anything in there, uh, there's, there was more conversation than that. But, um, yeah, she, she, Aiden is by far the most important thing to her. Uh, she she is just adores him. Uh, it really is the priority, you know, and I, she says many times, both, you know, to me, but also in public, you know, that that's really what got her through this entire situation was, um, was what was knowing that she needed to be there for him. Um, and that, that motivation really, I mean, what could be a more powerful motivation to sort of survive something than to take care of your son? Yeah, absolutely. And you got any other questions? Yeah, I'm I'm shifting uh, the topic just just a little bit here. Um, in keeping Addison Russell on the roster, uh, a lot of people are viewing that as the Chicago Cubs just kind of ignoring the situation. And I just wanted to know if you thought that there was any chance that that in doing this, they were doing this as a way of uh, making sure Addison gets to some sort of therapy or, or some some sort of guidance. Uh, in this, if they feel somewhat responsible, um, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for the Cubs. I, um, I don't. I've never. I don't know any of the front office people there well enough to to guess at their their specific motives. But 
I would imagine that, that what we've heard from the Cubs in terms of their desire to create a, a program that addresses domestic violence, that helps to rehabilitate, um, I, I believe their desire is genuine, and I believe that their desire to help is genuine. My question really comes in more from, is it really their place? I mean, our justice system, the police, I mean, these institutions that are literally tasked with handling you know, domestic violence issues routinely fail. And these are, these are baseball clubs. They're not, they're not developed, they're not built to handle these kinds of issues. So I guess the question that I have when thinking about the Cubs engaging with stuff like that is how, how do you make it work? How do they, I mean, in what, what infrastructure do they have or does baseball have to really be able to handle something that complicated, you know, especially something that often involves you know, legal issues, criminal things, you know, a lot of the domestic violence, as you know, obviously is prosecutable. So these are, these are really complicated issues that I'm not, I'm not sure that a baseball team is able to take on the mantle of that. I I very much admire the effort. And I I think that the commitment to domestic violence and to creating programs and to to seeing what you can do realistically is really important. Um, But yeah, I, I would be, I'm worried about, how that exactly would happen and whether or not the way it happened would ultimately be fair or in service of uh, victims and survivors as opposed to um, the, the athletes that, um, that are caught or are revealed to have done things like this. Kelly, last question for me. Uh, you posted the article yesterday, uh, the 19th of December, and, you know, overwhelming, obviously, all the people that went in and read it and shared it. It had to feel really good. And then you posted the PDF just because there was so much traffic uh, going on. Did you expect so many people to read it so quickly? No. Um, I mean, you know, you always have a sense of when you publish something uh, about what the, the interest level will be. Uh, and I obviously knew that, that this would be something that would be um, something that would be uh, popular in terms of people reading it. Um, I actually uh, upgraded our servers um, two days ago in, in anticipation of heightened traffic, nothing on the level that we got, of course. Um, but, yeah, I, um, as soon as it went down, I was on the phone with our host, uh, our hosting service, and um, they were saying that we were getting about 8,000 hits a minute uh, at the peak of it, um, and it completely crashed um, not just the – I mean, we were originally on a shared server, moved to a dedicated server just for us, and it still crashed that. <laughs> um, so, oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, it took a long time to get everything back up and running yesterday because uh, we took a little bit burned through some of the DreamHost services. Sorry, DreamHost. Uh, but, ex- yeah, so Expanded Roster is a fairly new site, isn't it? Yeah, we only launched, um, again, on September 1st on the date of the expanded rosters uh, this past year. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty new. Yeah, that is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, literally on the day of expanded rosters. Uh, that that had to be intentional, right? Indeed it was. <laughs> Good. Yes. Clever. Well played. Clever. Intentional choice. <laughs> I really, really like it. That's awesome. Uh, Kelly, before Thank we let you, you go uh, – I have uh, one uh, baseball question for you uh, regarding uh, the Cubs. Yeah, you ready for this? Uh, I yeah. want to hear your bold prediction. What's your bold prediction of the offseason? A trade, a signing that the Cubs are going to do, Ooh. anything. What okay. do you got? Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. This is funny. I was just talking to my dad about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, me and my dad gossip about baseball quite a bit. 
Um, you know, if it was um, if Manny Machado hadn't liked a photo of himself on Instagram in a Yankees uniform, I sure would love to make that prediction. But uh, being a realist and wanting my bold prediction to at least have a chance of being true, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that if there's a trade, Cubs are going to grab Nick Markakis, and if it's a free agent, Ooh. I'm going to say they end up with Harper in the end. Well, really? I would certainly hope so. Yeah. Let's hope you're right. I mean, I would be thrilled to see uh, see either Nick Markakis or, or Bryce Harper playing on the Cubs uh, next year. I, I think they're both wonderful players who would really add value in areas that the team is currently a little bit deficient. You know, it's actually kind of funny because Nick Markakis' career numbers, you wouldn't think how good they are. They're they're pretty dang good. If you just you look at the career yeah. numbers and the career hits he has, they're good. Nick Markakis is, I think, one of the more underrated players who uh, who might be available in this winter, to be honest with you. I think that, that he's very underrated. Obviously, the age is a reality. But, um, but, you know, he's been surprisingly consistent. And, you know, I think he would be a great addition to any team. I would love to see the Cubs grab him. Uh, but I think he would be a great addition to any team, really. Any team would be lucky to have him. Well, and at 34 years old, he had a career year last year, too. Which is crazy when you really think about it, because a lot of the time, what people people get so so hesitant about bringing in guys, uh, even trade or free agency, that uh, that are past certain age. And you know, when you see a guy like that turn out a season like that again in his age thirty three season, I don't know. To me, that makes me makes me want him real bad on my team. Well, and and beyond just the slash line too, I think the most impressive stat is that he played in all one hundred and sixty two games too. Right, and, you know, that's something that's going to be really important for the Cubs next year uh, because when you think about it, they obviously have lost Daniel Murphy, um, and, you know, we obviously don't know what the outcome is going to be of the Addison-Russell situation, but uh, things staying completely as they are, the Cubs will not have a shortstop for the first month or so of the season. Uh, And then you have to factor in that this is someone who's not going to be not going to have been doing baseball, not going to have been seeing live pitching. You have to figure there's going to be a minor league assignment. Uh, again, this is all assuming that he's still on the team, which I don't think would be appropriate. But, uh, again, let's say he is. You still have all this time where the Cubs the Cubs are really going to need depth and they're going to need guys who can play. They're going to need guys who can be out there. And when you have, when you have a guy like Nick Markakis, who not only you have the durability, but the slash line, but also the leadership, the veteran quality that he brings is something this team really needs. And, you know, Theo has been really clear about that, um, about wanting to bring in veterans, experienced types, people who can really help guide this young core that they've been waiting for to break out and to really develop and hit their potential with guys like Ian Happ, Kyle Schwarber, Albert, Albert Armora. I mean, specifically Albert Armora and Kyle Schwarber, I think, the production hasn't quite been where it was expected to be by this point. So you want to bring in guys like that who can really help mentor and bring this team to the next level. And, you know, when Theo talks about that a lot of the improvements they want to make are internal, you know, bringing in a guy like that, it not yes, that is an external improvement uh, technically, but it also can create a lot of internal improvements because of the value and the leadership that he would bring. I think that's great evaluation right there. I mean, I agree on all those fronts. He's he's well-liked around baseball, uh, even though he mm-hmm. is very underrated. The players seem to like him. You look at the awards, too. He's won three gold gloves. He was a silver slugger mm-hmm. last year. And you mentioned the durability. 
he played in less than 150 games once since uh, 2006. So there you go. The durability is is really there. Just 2012 Baltimore, he played in 104, but since then, 160, 155, 156, 158, 160, 162. Yeah, the guy's as durable as it gets. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I think when you look at the Cubs last season and think about the way that there were a couple of really key injuries that really derailed the season, Um, you have Hugh Darvish, Brandon Morrow, Chris Bryant, I mean, you know, these are all-star players that they completely lost for the bulk of the season. Um, so when you look at that and when you look at guys to bring in, I would imagine that this front office is looking to be careful about bringing in any other guys who are going to, to have – I think the injury history is concerning. I think when you look sure. at the track record of, of what happened with the free agent signings from last off season, I think that there's going to be – I would hope that there would be an emphasis – on trying to avoid having a repeat of that. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Uh, Adam, you have any other questions for our guest? No, that's it for me. Uh, Kelly, thanks for coming on, and we'd love to have you back again sometime. I would love to come back. Thank you so much for having me on the talk. I really appreciate that you guys are having a conversation about the article. I thought it was, uh, I think it's a really important story, and I'm just really glad that uh, Melissa is getting the support and and the attention that I think she deserves. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Uh, We'll definitely have you on closer opening day. You have yourself a good night, all right? All right. You guys, too. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Kelly Wallace of Expanded Roster. Yeah, that was was good to to be able to discuss that. Uh, I hope uh, a lot of people got to hear it. Absolutely. And she was very insightful and – yeah, I just I really appreciate the work she did there. Uh, really good to have her here. Really thankful for that. So we got some time left in the show. Um, and hey, she brought up a really good point about some of these guys like Nick Markakis. Curious to see where he's going to end up. I, I think it is worth a look for the Cubs. Uh, but we do have a few roster moves that were made recently on the team mainly being Daniel Descalso, and I know some people are kind of like, really, Daniel Descalso, this guy's a mediocre hitter, but, you know, I think it's a fine signing. I don't think this is going to be the huge move of the offseason. No, I mean, and you look at the last uh, few years, 349, 332, 353 for his on-base percentage. I mean, and that's, that's the kind of thing the Cubs need. Uh, that's that's a problem that they've had in recent years, uh, not enough guys uh, seeing the ball well, getting on base. And the truth of the matter is that, it, I mean, Descalso is not like a long-term permanent infield option. I mean, people act like this is the big fish free agent signing for the Cubs, and it's just, it's it's probably not. I mean, the reality is, is no. this is this is just a good depth move is all it is. Yeah, exactly. It plays all around the infield. You play in the outfield a little bit. It is worth noting that last year he had a 353 on base and he hit a career high 13 home runs. And somebody brought up how he changed his swing. So, you know, don't look for him to be uber productive, but at least he could be more productive than he has been in the past. Yeah, and, and you know, if it wasn't going to be Daniel Descott, the Cubs had to do something about infield depth anyway. Like they they just had no choice, and so if it wasn't going to be Daniel Descalso, who was it going to be? You know, that's what I want to know. Who who would you prefer? Who are you going to go out and get that's so significantly better 
uh, around the same cost. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, you just got to take the move for what it is. Depth move. Uh, you know, one one thing that I think that's really important here is that you got to have your options. And I, I, I get it. It's not the most exciting move, but not all these moves are going to be exciting. You know, not every move is going to yeah. be Bryce Harper. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, not going to be that. Yeah, they can't all be break the internet signings. It, they just can't. No, of course not. So you gotta you gotta make your small moves before you make your big moves, and that's just kind of the way it is. So right, I mean, this is it's we're seeing pretty much the same thing we saw last year. Everything is moving pretty slow. A lot of the big name guys are haven't really found a home yet, and that's just the that's just the way this works, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that was kind of the quote big news. There's there's a little bit of news on the you know on the, what they already have in terms of players, and that's you Darvish is starting to throw again. Uh, again, it's not a, a off season move or anything, but it is notable to see yeah. that you Darvish is throwing again, and uh, he's working out. He's been posting some things on Instagram. So hopefully that works out. You know he gets healthy enough as oh. soon as he can. I hope so, and I, I I'm happy about any reported progress on the Darvish front, but I, I still am in a spot right now where I'm going to actually have to see it in game in a regular season game before I I start to be optimistic about him actually playing a big part of this team this year because it just I think that from what we've witnessed so far, I, I just think we're all in a position where nobody's going to hold their breath. It, unless anything changes until I see it, I'm just going to kind of expect that Darvish uh, isn't going to be the ace of this team. I hope I hope he will be, though. I really, really hope he is able to rehabilitate that arm and, and get it figured out. But until that actually happens... I know, it's it's tough. You, you've seen the potential of you, Darvish. You've seen him in his prime if you've watched baseball. But, you know, you've seen the injury issues and you've seen all the setbacks last year. You know, I'm going to remain cautiously optimistic that we will get good you, Darvish, next year. But, you know, you, you naturally worry. Yeah, and, you know, I, I th- last time we talked about you, Darvish, we, we sort of we talked about expectations, if he is healthy, how he needs to perform. And I think we both kind of agreed that for the money he's getting, the way they signed him, he's supposed to be the ace of this team. But I think we're also at a point now where if we can get, if we can even get a full season out of him, that would be, that would at least be something, and that would help the team. I think the the way the rotation is right now, if he could come back and even pitch like a number three, that would at least be somewhat helpful. It wouldn't be ideal, and he would obviously be way overpaid for what he's doing but it would still it would still be something that 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 would help the team a lot oh sure I mean you look at the rotation on paper and you look at it and you say if it's fully healthy if it's doing what it's paid to do it's a pretty dang good rotation now you do have some concerns Lester continues to get older Jose Quintana hasn't been as consistent since he left the White Sox. You Darvish has the injury issues. I think that the most you could bank on going forward is probably Hendricks and Hamels. And look, I'm as big of a John Lester guy as it gets, but 
you know, just the simple fact that he's getting older. And last year you saw John Lester have to adjust his game because while the raw numbers were good, there were times when the peripherals were not. And, you know, you can trust him enough to adjust and pitch in big games. But, you know, still, father time always wins. Yeah, yeah, it's still undefeated. Uh, and and you can't uh, you can't expect John Lester to to perform like he did in 2015 and 2016. But he he still had plenty of great moments last year, and I think there is reason to believe that he will still be a highly productive starting pitcher in this league. I don't necessarily think he'll continue to be dominant. I don't think he'll be uh, the ace of the team by any means, uh, at least not consistently. I think that's pretty much fallen to Kyle Hendricks, but I think John Mm -hmm. Lester will still be a good, efficient part of the rotation this year. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I still trust him in a big game. You saw what he did in the wild card game. It was kind of the epitome of his season. He didn't have his best stuff, and it looked like it could have been ugly from the beginning, but he was able to kind of adjust some things and pitch to his biggest strength right now, and he was able to put together a good performance. Yeah, it was a rocky start, and man, I I hate that you brought that up and you're reminding me of that awful game. I hate you. Um, That's okay. But yeah, I mean, bottom line is he he pitched well enough to win that game for sure, 100%. I mean, it was the bats that let him down in that game. No question about it. It was definitely not his fault. Well, I don't know about you. I don't really have much else uh, to talk about Cubs-wise right now. There's, um, you know, some stuff going on in baseball. We mentioned Andrew Miller, uh, former Cub Daniel Murphy. Uh, we talked about him a little earlier. We mentioned him um, with uh, Kelly, but he's going to be not here, like we said, and he's going to be in Colorado. We signed a two-year deal, so he's officially gone. Uh, we had Anibal Sanchez signing with the Washington Nationals today. And it's really about it. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you really wanted to talk about. Um, I I can't confirm this because I, I don't know for sure, but it, it seems like the buzz is that the Cubs are maybe sort of keeping tabs on Troy Tulowitzki a little bit. Yes, that that is true. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, there have been some talks that uh, they are uh, still keeping their eyes on them. Yeah, and if too, I don't think Tulowitzki is uh, – really a, a full season starter anymore maybe he is i i i don't see it if he was I willing put my to, money to, on it right if he was willing to do some sort of part-time role i i, I would be all in on troy tulowitzki i think he's still got something left in the tank and at this point in his career he's made so much money already he's already had the the, the stardom in his prime i would i would think he would be at a point where he his main concern would be winning the world series and the Cubs are certainly one of the best chances for him to do that. Yeah, if he's willing to accept a more laid – I don't want to say laid back, but, you know, not an everyday starter type role where he's going to be plugged in in certain situations, not going to play every day, then, sort yeah, of you know, maybe this would be it. Yeah, sure, exactly. You know, it's it's more of a risk. He didn't play last year. But you know what? Maybe uh, you can – find gold with uh, some cheap spending there. Yeah, I mean, if if the Cubs like what they see and he's willing to, to be flexible on playing time a little bit, I think Tulowitzki would be a great a great move for Chicago. Absolutely. I would honestly love seeing him come here because if you get him at a good deal, 
either he works out or he doesn't. And if he works out, I mean, the guy is such a talented player despite all the injuries. If you had a good season from Tulowitzki for what he was, you know, not an everyday guy, if you had a productive season from him where he's still fielding well and he's hitting for some power, because he did hit for power in Toronto even with that injury, but hey, you got some production from him for what he was off a bench player at this point, you would take it. Yeah, I mean, and at this point in his career, uh, it it shouldn't be too overly expensive to get him, and so it would be a relatively low-risk deal for the Cubs. That's why I, I'd be all for it. Yep. Uh, you know, Daniel Descalso was in the talks for a while before they got him, so... I don't think as many people were in on Descalso as people were on or currently still are on Tulowitzki, but, you know, they got their one guy in Descalso. Maybe they'll get their other guy in Tulowitzki. Yeah, and you know what? Descalso, I, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised with his production. I mean, he's not a star, obviously. He's not the Cubs' big signing of the year, but I think people will be surprised at, at, at how good he is. And for the role he's filling. Yeah, exactly. You, you need to have all your types of guys, and that includes versatile bench guys. And I know some people will look at it and say, well, we had Tommy LaStella. But here's the thing. Tommy LaStella was mainly a pinch hitter. He was a great pinch hitter, don't get me wrong, but he didn't really play defense that well. He wasn't really an everyday player, even close to being an everyday player at all, really. Let's let's face the facts. Daniel Descalso, at least he can play not every day. He's never going to be an everyday player, but you know, he has taken up a role where he's playing more often than not, not just pinch hitting or a defensive substitution here or there. He knows what it's like to play a lot of games. So, you know, that that could be valuable right there. Yeah, and I mean and, and the numbers are on par with uh with with the kind of role he is. I mean, you can't expect 290 from a guy who isn't going to be playing every day. No, absolutely not. And you're never going to expect a big average from him, but hey, if you can get a 350 on base and you know, 10, 13 homers from a bench guy next year, I think you'd take it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 13 home runs, 57 RBI, 353 on base percentage last year. I mean, that's that's good. That's good enough. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, anything else you wanted to talk about? I think that, that about covers me there. Yeah, I think that covers me, too. We'll hopefully have some more news uh, next week. You know, the holidays are coming up, but you never know what can happen in the world of baseball. Things happen at crazy times, late at night, early in the morning, holidays, non-holidays. So, you know, hopefully we'll have some more Cubs news to talk about. But I think that's going to wrap it up here. I want to thank everyone for listening. I especially want to thank Kelly Wallace for coming on and sharing her experiences. And, uh, Adam, as always, uh, thank you for being my co-host. Absolutely. All right, everyone. I hope you all have a happy holidays. We will see you afterwards and hopefully bring you some more Cubs news.
Ugh, this phone drives me crazy. Excuse me, I'm the Sprinter, and from Sprint, try my new iPhone XR with an amazing liquid retina display. This is amazing. Mind if I snap a few photos? Look at that color. I love this display. I, uh, I'm going to need that back. Switch to Sprint and get iPhone XR 64 gigabytes for $0 per month with an eligible trade-in and a Sprint Flex lease. Visit a Sprint store, sprint.com slash iPhone, or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Phone $0 per month for 18 months after $31.25 per month credit apply within two bills. If the early remaining balance due, excludes tax, subject to credit, $30 activation fee, coverage and offer not everywhere, restrictions apply. Oh, what can I get you? Hey, Santa, a pony and an iPhone for my mom. She really wants one. That's a lot. Look, at Metro, they'll give you an iPhone success just for switching. Charlie Jingle Bells. I should switch to Metro. It's smart. You should. Get this unbelievable deal under your tree. Switch and get an iPhone 6S on us. Hurry, because deals this good don't last long. Metro by T-Mobile. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Not valid for current T-Mobile network numbers or numbers active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.